Welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast with me, Kathy Love. I'm a business coach who helps allied health professionals run powerful and profitable businesses in the disability sector. Join me for cutting edge interviews with leaders in the allied health and business fields, along with plenty of practical content that you can use to make your business practice perfect. Hello, hello. We have Charmaine Owen on the podcast today and um, Charmaine describes herself as the director of Kids and Community, a um, slightly going crazy private practice on the Gold Coast. Welcome. Thank you. Director, head honcho, you know, boss on a good day. Uh, Many different words on many different days, I would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Which in the last week. Gosh, yeah. So, you know, I happen to know a bit about your business and that, you know, just before I hit record, we were talking about referrals and recruiting and team building. Describe what's going on under the roof right now with with you guys up there. Well, like everybody, we've been navigating these fairly uncharted waters, I guess. So um, change would be the one word summary, <laughs> constant. I'm d- domestos. Uh, a lot of, they would be other relevant words. Yes, I feel like we're living in a, I could practically perform surgery on these bench tops this evening. <laughs> um, yes, but we've, uh, I guess we've, um, we're now navigating the transition back to face-to-face mm. service uh, and all that means uh, and some new challenges. So we went uh, 100% online from the end of March and then uh, settled into that and no sooner had we settled into it but we started to move back to face-to-face. So, yeah, yeah it, it's a pretty fluid state of being at the moment. Uh, so we're currently running a bit of a hybrid system but things are hectic Uh, currently recruiting to deal with the hectic Mm. um, and figuring out how we, what the new normal looks like and how we navigate that for ourselves and the families and kiddies that we work with. Yeah. Who's in your team right now? I'll (laughs) hold up my fingers and toes in case you I may need to take my shoes off. (laughs) We've got uh, seven amazing OTs, uh, some of whom work uh, full-time and some of whom work part-time, all of who whom work amazingly hard and amazingly creative people. We've also got two uh, very talented uh, support team members uh, and an extra person who will come and help them out. We've been fiddling around. One of our uh, learnings from this period of being offline is about how we might better use our support team staff. So we're just fiddling with some hours there. We're bringing somebody else on to fill in some gaps And then we've got a therapy assistant program and we're kind of in a state where we are on the Gold Coast where we we employ OT students from the two universities, uh, the local universities, Griffith and Southern Cross. And thankfully for us, normally their placements don't cross over. (laughs) So we have a pool of six that we kind of swap in and out while they send them off to learn to be actual therapists, which is usually pretty awesome. Um, So, yeah, so that's our team as it stands at the moment. And we're currently about to add to that team with another OT or an OT and a half. So we'll see how that uh, lands later on this week. Oh, very exciting. We should crowdsource the name of the position that we were talking about just before. So what is it? What is it that you call, you know, what I don't like about the front of house team is the admin team or the admin staff or, yeah, there's just so many kind of unhelpful title, job description titles, Um, whether it's customer service, customer care, client care, you know, that's kind of, I think, getting a little bit more modern and contemporary. What do you call your guys so we've gone for, and there's a few reasons, as you know, Kathy, I am big on words and language, and I think that the words that you use are very powerful in sending mm. messages about what you do. Uh, so I really hate admin because it's very non-descriptive of what happens. Yep. So we've gone for um, a support team because that's what they do. They support the operation of the business. They support the clinical staff. They support the children and families who come through the door. They support me. Um, so we thought our support team was a really um, a, a good descriptor. Mm-hmm. Where we're struggling with is breaking 
down the positions within those teams. Um, and the customer, you know, when I was going to uni, I worked at the record bar at Myers. And no, I'm not that old. They didn't actually have records. It was definitely not records, but it still was called that. So the customer service just throws me back to retail. Oh, to retail. Fair call. Um, Yeah, it's a bit um, like some other words that are no goes for me for ridiculous personal reasons. But uh, yeah, so we've kind of got the, and also the team leader, manager, you know, I have a background in the public sector and I struggle with that as well. So um, so we've gone for for, um, support team coordinator instead of what would be traditionally the practice manager, because it's really important for us that we move away from that medical uh, clinic. Oh, yeah. That's the other reason why we got rid of practice manager because uh, we call this our place. Pretty simple. We're pretty simple people. Um, when you come in, you come into our place um, or we're going to your place or your school or your sporting club or your kindy. So if we're going to your place, you will come into our place. Simple, simple. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's breaking down then those other operational members of the support team um, without giving them silly long names. So, yeah. Yeah. We've kind of gone support team finance, I think, for um, for one of our other team support team members. Uh, yeah. But we'll, we'll play around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep playing, keep playing. And play is what you do incredibly well. You're one of the most unmedically uh, allied health businesses that I've ever come across. How have you got to that point of running such a person-centred, family-centred, occupation-based business? Um, I, you know, I said it off the cuff, but I really, really, truly, passionately believe the power of language and words. I, I do love words and playing with words, always have. Um, but I also think that uh, language and the way we use words and the words that we choose to use empower or disempower. Um, and I feel that uh, as allied health professionals, we are already sitting in a position where people come to us, I guess, for expertise and expert knowledge. Um, and we have very strongly taken the position that we're here to walk alongside um, to assist people to be able to manage their own stuff. Um, and so if we are dead serious about that, then we've got to cut all the language that yeah. makes us look like we've got flashy degrees. Yes, we've got flashy degrees and we're super clever, but we don't need to throw it around in really big words all the time because people don't understand what we're talking about. And surely if we're here to help kids, we're here to help the adults around them to understand how to best meet their needs. Uh, and we feel really strongly that to be able to do that, we have to talk and communicate in a way that's accessible, um, that's in palatable chunks uh, and can be converted to action um, rather than being overwhelming. Yeah. So my take on the way you do things is you're not really using words like intake or assessment or discharge or any of those medically medical kind of words you've gone solid on your values solid on your beliefs and you use words like planning sessions and evaluations and pathways and all of that good stuff how do your customers step into that yeah I think it's um it's the feedback from people has been really positive around the accessibility of the information that we put forward. And so the stages that we run through around, you know, getting started, getting to know your child and their community, working with your child and moving on, you know, so it's really, it's really clear. It says what yeah. to do on the box. Um, and that's really important to us. We've also um, found that uh, we've really turned on our on its head um, the traditional uh, report writing. Um, <laughs> another um, another bugbear. What session notes? We are a pretty tech savvy um, mob, which to people who know me well will make them laugh a little. Um, but we're pretty much paper free, uh, and we do all of our session notes as video or voice recordings. Um, that are shared with the people that are important to the kitties. So they get instant access and very small, doable things to do in a way that's really understandable and easy to implement. We use a lot of video. Uh, we use drawings. I know that will surprise you. Um, I'm so we- not surprised. Having <laughs> been on the end of many of Charmaine's drawings, picture paints a thousand words. Let's just get the cliche out. 
100%. But, you know, I think the reality is, um, and again, this has been probably amplified in the last 11, 10, 11 weeks that we've been going through all this uh, COVID-19 crazy around quick, accessible um, information. And, you know, people can watch a video, listen to an audio snippet. Um, uh, otherwise, it's kind of death by email, you know, like there's so many people that just get so many emails about everything from socks on sale to um, how I'm going to wash my hands to make sure your kids are going to be safe. Mm. Yeah, so I think some of that switch, and that's been a really, it's been a long, um, and not just a process that's not been uh, without its challenges uh, around really changing the way we communicate um, and communicating with purpose. So really being very clear about what the purpose and the audience is for our communication, whether that be verbal or written, um, and then writing or talking to that audience directly rather than this homogenous, um, you know, Johnny presented to a session. <laughs> um, With a something, something up a limb. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As opposed to a, you know, sore arm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, and very much uh, embedded around functional issues uh, and um, probably the most medical terminology that we get is around uh, questions or we call them clinical questions and it's the last medical word that we have to get rid of. Um, but we report around what were the clinical questions, what was someone coming to us to know, um, and then the questions are in very plain language, but the title was still good. So oh. not Nearly there, nearly there, nearly there. Now, uh, this wonderfulness hasn't started overnight. How far back would you like to go? Just bearing in mind that this is G-rated and, you know, we do, we do have lives to go to. Where do you want to go three years back, five years back? You decide. Uh, oh, yeah, good to remind me of the G-rating. It's always good to be upfront about that. I was one of those, uh, and I think there's a whole era of um, allied health professionals who did the whole uh, hang out in the public sector, hang out in big NGOs and stick a toe into uh, private practice. And I was one of those. Uh, and then the toe very quickly got consumed up to about the waist. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then I discovered that being a parent of two small children um, and all of these things that I was going to be able to do, <laughs> I had, suddenly went out the uh, went out the window. So um, the flexibility uh, and ability to work flexibly on my own terms um, was probably some of the practical stuff that happened. Mm. And then I thought I could pretty much do it all. So go back to middle management in uh, public sector, parent two small children, and do a little bit of clinical stuff to keep my hand in on the side. How did that go? Yeah, that went awesome actually. Mm. Like. I, I, Were you tired, I, emotional? Yeah, well, I think, I, I don't know, but it, was, it wasn't safe for me. It wasn't uh, in anybody's best interest for me to yeah. be a full-time mother at home either because the children mm -hmm. became projects, which <laughs> was, was not awesome. But it, I found that, um, yeah, it was, it was a good time for me to be able to do a bit more clinical work. And then uh, I in really enjoyed um, the flexibility of being able to do stuff 120% the way yeah, you wanted to do it. Yeah, you wanted. Yeah. So when did your private practice really, really start? When were you kind of full-time self-employed? Uh, hang on a second. Now I have to take my toes off. Um, my toes off. <laughs> my shoes off to get to my <laughs> um, uh, oh, Probably... About 10, eight years ago. Cool. Yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, so that was when I would guess I was probably working, um, I would consider myself, you know, definitely running mm -hmm. a, a sole practice, a, as a sole practitioner. And then um, and then that next big step was employing um, the first person, which was a therapy assistant who still is here as a Nice move. So, uh, yes, we, um, yeah, uh, it's great to, um, we've held on to people pretty well, yeah? We've got yeah. a awesome team, so, um, and that's really, really important. So, so what were the pivotal moments, sort of employing assistants, therapies, therapists, signing a commercial lease? Like what were the big, slightly terrifying moments? Let's just go for the scary stuff. 
I think some of the scary stuff, like quite uh, <laughs> most of my life, just kind of happens. Um, so I was sort of subletting a room off a, uh, a speech pathology uh, friend of mine and then um, she was uh, heading off overseas and so I took over Elise um, and then um, decided that probably it wasn't really fit for purpose. So then it took over a new lease and started to be able to do cool stuff like set up, you know, cool rooms and paint walls and do all those exciting things that I, I like to do. Um, and then we just got super, super, uh, I got super busy and I really liked running groups and I realised that I could do a better job of running groups if I had somebody to help me and I realised that we had two universities with people on tap. Um, and and then I soon figured out that I was probably not awesome at the admin side of things. So, uh, employed somebody to help out with that. And then I think it got to the point where, you know, um, it's not humanly possible to work that many hours in a week yourself. Um, and then you that the biggest thing for me was employing um, a therapist uh, and that was really the OT student who evolved into a therapist so that was pretty a soft transition mm. and then things really started to take off um, and so we were super busy and we found that uh, we didn't have capacity to see the people who were coming through the doors um, and you can't I kind of think that pivotal moment was I think we could do some good things for these families. Um, and so if I could get some good people, um, then uh, maybe we could service more of the community. Um, the big anxiety for me was the quality piece around how do I, by that stage, I was really clear about what I wanted a service that I was um, establishing to look like and what I didn't want it to look like and I had huge anxiety about taking that step of handing that baby over <laughs> to other people um, in terms of bringing other people in and what that would mean and I think I probably had my I'll keep it Jeep I have my head lodged somewhere your head <laughs> somewhere dark yeah somewhere dark in terms of that belief around uh, other people being able to do it like I could does that make sense um that's mm well sailed but I think as I look and reflect in hindsight now as I talk like I think that was a block too yeah. getting past your own ego I suppose about um, other people being able to do it as well as you can and then that was that uh, uh, I think I'd gone so far back down that clinical line and was loving that sort of clinical work um, the next thing was once staff came on board is remembering um, about all those skills that I'd learned in the public sector and middle management about managing, you know, um, mm. at that stage small, but managing people and team and um, having both of those uh, hats, I guess. Uh, and then I guess the next, the, there's all the growth things and the moving and premises doesn't, you know, fit there anymore. And then you don't fit the next one and then you can't find another one. And, um, and the next bit, Thing, I think was when um, you know making that shift around uh, being a clinician who dabbled in a bit of business on the side. Yep. <laughs> the, <laughs> business, the clinician with the business side hustle. Yeah, was that like, you? Kind of going, oh, hello, this is a business. Must send an invoice. Must <laughs> send an invoice sometime soon. We need to now kind of find some business skills I think like lots of people I would imagine I'm not the only person sitting saying this is um all of a sudden then you kind of realize the, the massive chasm in knowledge about um all of that business stuff and um I think that probably has filled <laughs> the last of my recent memories about trying to come up to mm. speed feeling a level of competency in that business acumen that I guess you feel from a clinician's perspective mm. um, and it's been that kind of you know not knowing what you don't know and then knowing what you don't know and all of those stages you go through as a clinician and I don't quite know where that ladder is at the moment it feels like a bit hazy but, <laughs> but yeah. yeah so I think that that's a really I, I, I think that process a bit like you know you say with your clinical skills the day that you feel like you've nailed it I feel like it'll be the day that it'll be the exit you know <laughs> there's so yeah. much to learn yeah 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 but the, that was a big one that the most big one recently yeah so what was that time like when you were releasing client facing work I know there's still a little bit there perhaps and becoming team facing how did you wrangle your thinking 
Yeah, this is a very recent, <laughs> very, very recent. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this. Um, look, I I think it. Um, I think you hold dear to that uh, role and um, identity of a clinician um, and, you, you know, you get in that smooth lane of um, kind of going, you know, um, you, you're challenged by um, by situations and um, intellectually and cognitively challenged by thinking solutions and, and that's exciting and exhilarating. That's why you do it. That's why you turn up mm-hmm. is because you enjoy those moments where you're problem solving with a little person in front of you or a not so little person in front of you with big problems that you're trying to overcome and I feel like there's that whole you know you've spent a whole lot of time doing that and it becomes really comfortable and I think it's that point where for me and I think it's really different for everybody I'm talking to some of my other um, colleagues in similar situations but for me it was that point where I realized that I love seeing um, the therapists that work in our team have those wins now as much as if it was me having the win. And I also probably get more out of um, or get just as much out of seeing them develop their skills and have their big moments with kids and know that um, I help them get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was the big shift for me in kind of going, you know what, this is really cool. I'm actually really loving the fact. Um, you know, there's moments where you sit back and you go, this is really cooking. These guys are achieving absolute killer outcomes. I would argue better than I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that earlier, but <laughs> I, I just let, let the conversation flow. Yeah. That um, yeah, they don't do it as well as you. <laughs> Some of them are going to do it differently and potentially yeah. better. <laughs> Literally, 100%. I hope and they're listening. Yeah, I'll, I will deny under oath that I ever said that. No. <laughs> yeah. I will, we'll just delete, delete, delete. But um, yeah, I think that was it for me where I kind of feel like that um, I feel like what repositioning what you I think you feel like that you love the clinical side of the things and you feel like um, not having that face-to-face Uh, contact with kitties that are your sole responsibility Mm. um, will be, you know, a a sense of loss. But I think when you start to realise that what you love is the problem solving and the discourse and thinking about Mm. how to solve that problem. And that happens in a different but a a Mm. different and exciting way when you're doing that with uh, helping somebody to you know, adapt and, and change their thinking or, you know, think broadly or think differently or whatever about yeah. um, the yeah. family you're working with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have um a pride perhaps in creating just such clinically creative and outcome-based and, you know, reputable clinicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's with um it's been very important. I had a little dabble as a as a um, earlier career therapist a very little dabble in some private work that I didn't enjoy, which probably put me off the private sector for a bit, uh, which was a bit cookie cutter, a bit prescriptive. So another one of my very, very strong beliefs was that um, I didn't create a team of me because apart from the fact (laughs) that it didn't need to be fenced and blown up. um, And and medicated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, you know, it's really important to me that we, um, you know, we have a pract- an agreed practice framework here that has um, building blocks or has elements. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some foundation elements. There's some um, theoretical frameworks. There's some values like our core values. There's their personal values. And we put it all into a mixing bowl um, and then they can shape what they would say is this is their own personal yeah. practice framework. Um, So it's really important to me that we have shared uh, foundational knowledge and values, but that they find their own pair of comfortable shoes, you know, like absolutely. um, And that they can be able to do things that they um they feel passionate and value because I feel like that's when people are really on song, they're really working at their best when they're appropriately challenge to do and doing the things that they love yeah but it also sings to that commitment to diversity and embracing diversity and um playing people with their strengths and yeah all that nice stuff all the stuff that we look for and set up with clients can just be differently applied to um to team 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So now your week is filled with a whole lot more of the business stuff. How's your, how you're kind of, you're, you're enjoying that? Yeah, yeah, no, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's good to be able to do, uh, to have that time. I've found that being disciplined in blocking out time has been a challenge um, and not getting drawn into, um, can I have you for five minutes? Can we have a chat about this? Because I love that. That's what I love to do. Um, but all of a sudden, nine o'clock becomes six o'clock and all those things you're going to do um, is being tricky. Um, and I think prioritising uh, some of what needs to be done on the business, I can very much, as you well know, Cathy, I can get very much stuck on doing lots of um imagining about some service development stuff and um and probably put aside some of the day-to-day nitty-gritty things like it's hard to um sometimes be disciplined to work out of your your fast lane and do all the other things that need to happen too but um it's improving oh rapid pace (laughs) and it is important to kind of work in that flow stream as well from time to time and um as your team builds out you'll be bringing people in that really serve some of those areas that will complement your fast very creative kind of lane as as well yeah and i think that i think that um you know that's the latest evolution (laughs) is to realize that uh the, the key people that i need to pull in um, because there's stuff that doesn't uh, light my fire that is necessary and I need to know it and I need to be across it, but I don't need to do it all, um, which is, sounds really simple, but it's taken me a hell of a long time to get there. <laughs> um, and I, I think a really good example of that, and we can pull this bit out if you're not comfy, is the bookkeeping and the finances. Yeah. <laughs> you got a wine? You got a wine on that side? Let me just see. Wine, forget the wine. We need vodka with this conversation. <laughs> I haven't got any on this side either. But you know, that was that was that learning curve was steep. We don't have to go into nitty-gritty, but that was steep. And um, I think it was a great illustration of you can get a ton done in-house. Yeah. But wow, what happens when it's outsourced into really kind of differently expert hands is just that sigh of relief. Yeah, and I mean, that's it. It's probably a really classic example of, of, of um, the evolution of, uh, of my a level of comfort as a business, as a director or as, as mm. running um, you know, because in the beginning I, I made that classic mistake of going, I don't know this stuff and palming it off without being across it. Um, yeah. and that wasn't an awesome. But that thing. happens all the time that we abdicate, abdicate Ooh. responsibility, abdicate, abdicate. Oh, gosh, the speeches will be just, you know, <laughs> trolling me now. Um, <laughs> rather than delegate with responsibility, yeah. you just you do palm it off hoping in trust that the person's really cool and they're not going to muck it up for you. Yeah, and I think that that, um, you know, I think that that, uh, as you said before, you know, realising the value um, of, you know, having different people and I think at different stages too. Like I don't know that um, had that, you know, had I not been through that process that I would have landed in such a good place. You know, I think sometimes you've got to you got to drive off the edge of the road, of the shoulder on the road, or whatever the saying is. Get a you, few bumps, you, yeah. You get get a, a bit of a shock. No, I don't mind the bumps. It doesn't worry me. Um, I think it stresses me out a little bit in the moment, but I feel like it's the bumps that you learn from, um, and it's just you know being okay to sit with it and and figure out a better way forward. You mm. know. If it was smooth sailing, it'd be so boring, wouldn't it? No one would do yeah, it. Yeah, we'd just be making up disasters. We'd just be inventing pandemics oh, to get oh, ourselves really? thinking about something different. Hi there, it's Kathy Love with a very, very brief interruption to your podcast listening. Just like you, our 2020 calendar pretty much got flipped on its head. But we are really pleased to be able to announce that we are bringing forward to July 24th our private practice online conference. And the focus for this event is accelerating business prosperity. 
We believe that there is so much good stuff that we will be able to bring forward into our business as new usual. And our speakers are committed to that. I'm committed to that. And the team are super excited to bring you amazing topics that will really get you focused on prosperity and a really solid strategy. So coming in to share their wisdom are Damien Adler from Power Diary, Darren Reich from Nukul, Yanni Sapanis from Power Diary, Natalie Hawker is coming in to update us on all the current HR legislation and requirements. Chantel Robards will be bringing us an update of NDIS. Who knows what will be coming over the NDIS line at this, across the new financial year. Got Mike Pollard, an accountant who specializes with medical and allied health professionals. We've also got some marketing specialists. Anna Osherov will be speaking about events. Letitia Gresh will be speaking about marketing mechanics and showing up online. I'm going to be on the uh, on the Zoom screen as well with some really focused topics about reorienting service provision, team togetherness, more strategic marketing, getting into financials and um, high octane leadership, which is certainly what we've seen through the pandemic phase and will be absolutely critical going forward post-virus as well. Somewhere very near this interruption and near this podcast will be uh, more information about the private practice online conference, Accelerating Business Prosperity. Your ticket is there with its name on it. It'll be the most remarkable investment. And as always, you will have access to all of the presentations for a couple of weeks afterwards. Always best to turn up live. We can't wait to see you later on in July. Make sure you get your ticket and we will see you all there. I, I think it could be good to talk about the, the pandemic because I may have heard the words from you saying, this is amazing. I'm just <laughs> in my element of troubleshooting and problem solving and being creative. And yeah, you had a different experience to many if we wind it back to start of March. Yeah, it's, um, and I feel like, uh, you know, I just got this, calm and you know some reasonable working hours oh back. yeah you did that's true yeah <laughs> like, apart from that bit two weeks before it'll happen but uh yeah like I think it's safe to say that I'm not awesome with rules and I'm not fantastic with boxes so we were in suddenly an environment where like I just felt like it was open slather like you know there was uncharted territory um, no one had kept up with what was going to happen. Everything was changing on a week-to-week, if not day-by-day basis. Mm. So um, to me, I just saw it as an opportunity to have some really good excuse <laughs> to have some licence to, to get away with and try some stuff that we possibly couldn't do under normal conditions. So, yeah, so we, we played around with how we offered services. Uh, we developed, um, well, we, <laughs> we made operational. Uh, we, we'd actually been working on an online platform for some time uh, and probably were six months off doing anything real about it, but we made it work in 48 hours, which is <laughs> planned. Um, but we had the bones of it there. So I guess, you know, mm. we probably didn't have to do the amount of work that other people may have had to do because we already had the tech set up, we already had the resources, the ability to mm. go online pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, so we set up uh, a bit of an online uh, station isolation program which was um, to support uh, the kids and, and families and communities but also um, for us to try some stuff that we've been busting mm. to try for ages. Um, so, yeah, so I, I just saw it as lots of opportunities things creatively we tried things as a team and we've spent the last um week reflecting about we don't want to go back to the way we were we want a new normal because there's so much to be learned um from what we did both that we really want to keep and stuff that we never want to do again what don't you ever want to do again what don't we ever want to do again uh there was more stuff that we want to keep i've got to yeah 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 Uh, The stuff that we don't ever want to do again is going back to uh, long days in the office. Mm. Uh, We are super fortunate to live in the most amazing part of the world Um, and every one of our team, with no exception, was on the beach or on the esplanade attached to the beach every day and none of us can remember doing that for a very long time. Wow. So... 
So we're lifestyle, not, absolute yeah, lifestyle, shift to lifestyle yeah. and work style. I love I, someone, there's an author that calls it work style. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Um, so that's something that we said, you know, it would be so much easier to come back and slip into Groundhog Day. Um, yeah. The other thing that I think that we did from a clinical perspective that really uh, we certainly were doing beforehand, but very much amped up in an online or telepractice space um, was really, really working with families to do some of this stuff themselves um, and really coaching them through how to work directly with their children. Um, And every, yes, every clinician that's come back has said it will absolutely change the way they work with families back, uh, you know, back in a clinic, back in kindies, back in schools. Um, So there's been a massive shift in relationships, uh, really interestingly. Uh, So we definitely want to capitalise on that. Um, And then some of the communication and peer mentoring, I think we were pretty good at it beforehand, but Mm. um, the sharing amongst the therapists, because I think there was this perception that all of a sudden we needed this whole new battery of tools and stuff, yeah, uh, which we kind of realised we didn't really need. Yeah, yeah, Um, but it's part of the adjustment process is to kind of do do the shopping, do the hunting for it. Yeah, but the sharing and the creativity around, um, you know, being able to uh, produce a a board game out of a pencil and paper or a whiteboard on a Zoom screen, you know, um, uh, I think has been really a really excellent reminder that you don't need stuff to do good therapy. Yeah. 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 So, So probably just amped up some of the values that we have, but I guess it's kind of, you know, we've had to really do that. We've really walked the talk and so we're really keen to bring that back. But the lifestyle stuff we definitely don't want to go back to and we definitely don't want to go back to to not having um, the online um, aspect to our service delivery. Mm. We really have enjoyed it. Um, you know, not just because we can wear our slippers and pajamas on the bottom, and not just that. No, oh. <laughs> that is one plus. Sparkly <laughs> pink hats and sunglasses, or rabbit ears, or whatever else I might have seen popping yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, and I think we, I think um, it's also taught us, and we, apart from the play aspect, we also value those connections really strongly mm. um, with uh, with our families um, that we, we work with, but also with each other. Uh, and we've worked really hard to keep those connections alive while we've all been um, remote. Uh, and so I think that that's what's um, helped maintain that culture and um, strong sort of supportive team through this really challenging process. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the value of just showing up for families yeah. um, and I think that it helped the therapists really understand the value of their role in children and families' lives just to support them to problem-solve and get through difficult times and that that is as valid a role as all your flashy clinical skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still an occupation. It's just an occupation through the little white light. Yeah. See, it was OT's time to shine, wasn't it? You know, oh, there was absolutely. Time, people thought that occupational therapy was hard to get. I reckon there was a heap of people who were either under or over-occupied in the last <laughs> Or just deliriously bouncing between the two on any given hour. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What's the business going to look like in a year's time? Um, Well, we are working really hard on, um, so we've spread across two locations now on the southern end of the coast and the northern end of the coast. And we also provide some services to the far northern end of uh, New South Wales. Uh, But we very much are maintaining one team across multiple locations. So to be able to do that and be able to keep manageable workload so that we can keep the quality and that um, work-life balance there. We're going to grow the team a little bit more um, so that we can um, provide that reach across those areas and also to uh, continue to develop out our online platform now. We're really excited to be able to do that and the reach that we'll be able to, oh, there's so many cool things. That's a whole other, you know, Day. <laughs> All other day. A, a day-long podcast, yeah, seven hours. I think we've talked about, uh, for me, um, growing the business a little or growing our team a little bit more will allow us to do um, 
what are we calling it? It's almost like bespoke career paths uh, for our team so that we can really look at, um, you know, in a very, again, we'll surprise you, in a very visual way, um, you know, what the other side of the riverbank looks like uh, for people. And for some people, for, every, for lots of our staff, particularly OTs, I think sometimes... Um, you know, where their future lies uh, is very different uh, for each person. So we're kind of mapping that out and figuring out how we can craft out some pathways that allow people to, um, you know, follow their passion and have mm. stepping stones across the river. And um, so to be able to do that, we need to have, um, you know, have uh, a, enough, a big, a big enough team that we can um, follow those passions without, um, you know, getting bogged into um, the day-to-day clinical work as well. So we can have uh, the ability to do both of those things, um, yes. to meet those everyday clinical needs, but also, um, you Create know. Create awesome humans. Uh, yeah, exactly, because awesome humans will do awesome work in that clinical space. Um, yeah, so so that's the plan, to to basically, uh, you know, increase our presence in that Coomera northern end of the Gold Coast, the, the southern burly end of the Gold Coast and that far northern New South Wales and in that online platform. That's the plan. And to do some cool, we've got some cool projects on the bubble um, that uh, our staff are going to take some lead on some um, cool uh, innovative projects because that's the space that we love being in to do stuff on the edge that's a little bit different. So, um, yeah, watch that in the next 12 months. Oh, do you um, do that same performance development work with your customer service team? Uh, we, we, I think it's fair to say it's been a pair. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, I think it's taken a while uh, and I'm sure we're not on an island of our own here to work mm. out what that magic ratio of support team to therapists is. We have just, uh, very just, as in the last couple of weeks, uh, looked at increasing um, those support team hours because we've actually shifted. I think therapists are really awesome as clinicians and awesome therapists, um, but there's stuff that traditionally therapists would do that I think support team are better at doing um, and we'd be able to be able to create some really nice efficiencies in workflow by taking stuff away from the therapist or making it happen quicker yep yep so, but to do that we need to fix that um, that the support team so a very roundabout answer a very roundabout answer to that question is we're building out our support team so we can do the same yeah absolutely yeah. yeah, and you've yeah. got awesome humans everywhere you turn in the building. Yeah, we really do. And I think the challenge is in a, the reality is in a, in a competitive and growing um, market is to keep those amazing humans and to keep amazing humans mm. you have stimulated. <laughs> yeah. And on the topic of awesome humans, what's your role going to be rolling up into as the business Not grows and... <laughs> Not cleaning. There is no cleaning in Charmaine's future. Once we have a, whatever point it is. <laughs> um, we'll break the rules, you know. Yeah. What's your role going to look like going forward? Uh, my role will look at trying to um, support uh, and ensure that everybody does have their little pathway and passion um, and is able to um, make all the day-to-day happen without me being in the day-to-day um, and also to succession plan a bit to find <laughs> a human or humans who would like to, you know, step up and help out at some mm. Um, I'm pretty sure there's some humans in the building that may see that in their future, so that's pretty exciting. But I think my my role increasingly um, is becoming about supporting um, the staff to develop their clinical skills but also to um, realise their ability and potential to do some other cool stuff. Um, you know, I think that sometimes people can't always see what we see in them um, uh, and so that's exciting to help people see the possibilities and provide some opportunities. Uh, I feel like I was very, very, very exceptionally fortunate um, in my early career to be absolutely dropped into bunches of awesome humans over and over and mm. over again. And so I, from the day I graduated, to be honest with you, have been given opportunities that 
I know would not have been provided in other situations. So um, I always grabbed them with two hands and ran, and I think that that's allowed me to have a really interesting pathway <laughs> um, and varied pathway to where I am now. So I, this that's my pay payback, I guess, or pay forward, um, is I would love to be able to do that for other people. Yep. What about the business side of things? Where do you think your role is going to sit with keeping the wheels of industry turning? Not meddling with them quite so much. <laughs> <laughs> not, breaking, not breaking things. Yeah, I need to be occupied and purposefully or I tend to meddle and break things that weren't broken in the first place. Um, yeah, I think that I need to get more comfortable and you can hear me talking that I'm not quite there yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I asked. <laughs> <laughs> with being that the the CEO, I'm not there yet. No, I'm still very much uh, maybe a small C, maybe lowercase. I don't even know whether it's even a C. What's the what's the language that does the soft C? There's some, anyway. <laughs> the speeches will be trolling us on that as well. That's okay. They'll probably draw it upside down or something. Or sideways. <laughs> but your business acumen's just on the climb. It's yeah, yeah. I feel like um, you know, again, there's been lots of opportunities. Um, mm as you well know um and I think part of the to be honest with you part of that turnaround for me um and I know that you and I had a conversation god it seems like so long ago now where I said you know what I'd love to do I'd love to sit in a room with other allied health businesses just throw all this stuff on the table um and thankfully yeah, for what you wish for do that yeah but to be honest that's um that you know to be able to be part of that um Boardroom Alliance has been really, uh, that's, I I think that, you know, you have this growth curve and then all of a sudden it's kind of vertical. vertical. (laughs) I feel like I went back on itself there for a little bit. But, yeah, I I don't think that there's lots of opportunity. And I think as, um, you know, I feel like that some of the, um, you know, the therapists who are coming into the sector now and it's so much more developed, you know, We'll have more of those opportunities earlier on. I certainly wish I had have had those opportunities earlier on. To find that comfort in running a business and legitimately running a business, not just I'm, a, I'm an OT that, you know, kind of, you know, does some private stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of runs a business. To a business the- owner that delivers change <laughs> through occupational therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And mm. to also have... Um, you know, I, I don't know that, um, I don't know that, uh, I, I think some of that was always sitting there, but there was, it's the confidence and um, having it being able to be uncovered, I guess, and um, nurtured. Because I think, you know, at some point I made a conscious decision to kind of go, let's park the clinical stuff um, and let's really invest in my understanding and knowledge around running a business. And that was a massive turning point for me. Yeah, massive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, kind of speaks to the fact that you've got to be ready for the business learning. You've got to yes. really want it or um, have really mucked up the business or you, you need pretty deep motivations to put one foot in front of the other and release clinical and step towards, you know, the CEO, the business owner role. Because yeah. it's not what you went to uni for. It's not what you've introduced yourself as for 20 years. So it's a real role, role change. Yeah, and I think for me, like I'm embedded in a family <laughs> of business owners um, that couldn't see what was sitting on my doorstep either um, because I was an OT and that's not what you do. That's very different. Um, but, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, interesting looking back on all those stages. But that um, making a decision around, um, you know, developing those skills is a really key turning point. And I think, um, you know, you kind of kid yourself into believing that, you um, uh, you know, that you're a therapist and that you're not a business owner, which is total rubbish. You know, I get really excited about doing the business stuff if I'm really, really honest. <laughs> um, like know. honesty. Yeah. You, you know, I think you kind of, it's almost like, I don't know, I think it's almost become a bit of a facade. Like people are almost apologetic about being business owners when you're in that um, community service sort of sector, you know. Um, yeah. I think if you didn't like it, you wouldn't be working privately, would you? You know, no. you wouldn't. In the private no. sector. So, no. And I think it's a confidence thing. Once you feel 
that you 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 know you, you've got your training wheels on and then you can get your training wheels off then you have that kind of it's that success breeding success um in terms yeah of- you start yeah. to see the impact of coaching therapists rather than coaching kids yeah. and you start to really sit with the ripple and um you start to see the end of your impact um far 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 reaching um yeah. way bigger reach than you can do as a you know a clinician yeah, and I think that's the that's the thing, isn't it? You know, I think there's that perception or whether it's reality or it really is totally, you know, um, totally perceived around, um, you know, the commercial aspect to our private practice, you know, and that somehow um, you can't have values that are really um, embedded in empowering, you know, people with disabilities and serving community and those sorts of things and, um, put a value, a monetary value on that and, and have um, a commercial um, brand around it. But yeah, absolutely. A commercial exchange around that value. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I feel like that, that you know, that's significantly shifted. I think ND, the advent of NDIS has helped with that. But I think that's why a lot of, well, that would be my um, assumption, and certainly I would place myself there, around that level of discomfort around um, saying, you know, proudly that I am a business owner and I am a director and I can do this business side of things. Um, yeah, particularly in the disability sector, I think. Uh, mm. But, you know, I feel like that, well, absolutely, otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. Um, we have very, very strong values embedded all in, in all of those things, but we still run a really viable, profitable business. Oh, what more can you ask for? Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And we just slipped in NDIS just right at the end. Yeah, I shouldn't have mentioned it. Really. How did we get that far without mentioning it? I think yeah. that's a whole other episode. <laughs> I'm going to give you the last say as, as you know, as, as the guest, what would you like to kind of just, you know, drop the mic on for allied health business owners who are listening? Oh, look, I would say sit comfortable with yourself as a legitimate business owner, um, as if you bought the local cafe. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you're selling. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You are running a business. And I feel like the world's giant, most giant hypocrite saying that. But if I could go back and talk to the me of 10 years ago, that's what I would say. Just cut the crap, get over yourself uh, and get on with it. Um, and get some help. You need good help. I, I from day one, um, not in the business side of things, that took me a while to navigate, but I think I lost my way a little bit when I started working privately because I had all the clinical mentorship, but you need to get good mentors around the stuff that you really don't know. <laughs> and you need to keep going until you find the right people, but you need people. You need a team of people. You can't do it by yourself and you need to realise that, um, A, you need to realise you can do it, but B, you need to realise that you can't do it yeah. by yourself. That would be my two t- two tips. Two top tips. Yeah. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Thank you so much for sharing up your wisdom as always. It's okay. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Alrighty. See you soon. Thanks, Kathy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit practicemadeperfectpodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes and continue your business adventure with me. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Private Practice Made Perfect podcast is brought to you by Experts on Air Podcast Network.